Welcome to the 2020 Baby Podcast. It's my pleasure to have with me down the phone Emma McCabe, New York City breastfeeding counsellor. And um, today we're going to talk about getting breastfeeding to work during the pandemic, but in particular with a focus on um, pumping, where it's useful and... uh, and where pumping can paradoxically actually undermine breastfeeding. So welcome, Emma. Hi. And I wonder, Emma, before we start to chat about the use of the breast pump, could you just let me know how you're travelling in New York at the moment? Uh, Hospitalisation levels are um, sort of holding steady, so it's possible. I think this, this week will be the peak um yeah it's very it's it's very it's very intense over here mm. it's a very different way of living it's a very different city right now yeah yeah um <clears throat> so i think last mm. night it was um a record number of 800 lives lost in the previous 24 hours seven seven hundred ninety three i think was or, or close to that mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thought is that that's going to continue to peak for a little while longer. But given that well, admissions are dropping off, admissions are dropping off. Yeah, so I think all of the social distancing that we've been doing, which has been re- very stringent, mm. um, has has been working, uh, or is starting to work essentially. But you know, we, it, it, the virus was circulating here for for far longer than anybody knew and they've tracked the cases to mostly coming from Europe in February. Mm. Um. Mm. It's more important than ever that that um, women are able to get breastfeeding working for them and a consideration of the role of the breast pump mm-hmm. and when the use of the breast pump may not be helpful is is um, a conversation worth having, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's something that I get asked about a lot. So let's start by looking at when the the pump can actually help us, when it becomes a tool that has use for getting breastfeeding on track. Did you want to address that, Dom? I mean, I think that I probably tell women to pump much more frequently than you do. (laughs) And I think that part of the reason for that is what we were talking about before, which is the set of circumstances that surround birth. Um, And so, you know, I see a lot of families who the, um, the mother's milk may be delayed coming in, might not come in until day five, day six, um, and whose babies have been getting supplementation, you know, often necessarily if if your milk hasn't come in by day five, day six, you really do need to start supplementing. Um, Otherwise your baby is going to not thrive and lose a dangerous amount of weight. And, and, you know, we all want to avoid any sort of worst case scenario. Um, So I think that I probably recommend that women pump a lot more than you do. Um, Part of that is because when I see a baby who has been getting, you know, two ounce or uh, 60 milliliter bottles from day two um, and mom's milk hasn't come in until day five. And when their milk comes in, 
you know, they may, they're probably not going to be producing the, the amount that the baby is used to getting. Um, and so that can create a lot of frustration and challenges. Um, and so I think, so in a situation like that, there's two ways to go about it. Either you can feed your baby around the clock just 24 seven. Um, and you'd have to make sure you'd have to make sure anyway that, that the fit and hold was, was optimal, that the baby really was acting to transfer milk or the supply is still not going to respond even in such a heroic kind of context. And, and of course, and that really doesn't sound manageable, does it? Yeah, it's not manageable. It's just not manageable, especially if your milk hasn't even come in yet. Um, so in a situation like that, then I do often recommend pumping, Mm. Uh, but not, not, you know, it's not something that we ever want to do for a really prolonged period of time because it, it's also very challenging, you know, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Yes, pumping, pumping. And, you know, it, it's typically advised every three hours, um, mm-hmm. both breasts, um, if, if you're really, really wanting to, to build your supply. We need to get that supply happening. And in yeah. a situation where, you know, we've got complex obstacles from birth, for sure there's a yeah. role for pumping because when we remove the milk from the breast, we're stimulating the supply. But, of course, as quickly as possible, we want that baby to become the woman's best pump. In this category, um, we can look at two kinds of situations. So we've got a situation where there's a medical problem. So this could be the jaundiced, very sleepy baby in the first Mm -hmm. days and weeks who's just not able to transfer the milk, remove milk adequately from the breast. Um, We've got babies who have other outright medical conditions, for instance, premature babies um, Mm -hmm. who are, again, not transferring milk efficiently or not transferring milk at all. And with our preemie babies, pumping is absolutely essential to building a supply very early on. And also sometimes babies who are in the NICU for any other reason. Yeah, um, yeah. For any other medical reason. Yeah, that's it. So if your baby isn't fully draining or emptying your breasts when when they feed, then that means that there's milk sitting in your breasts and that tells your body to slow down on how much milk it's, it's making. Those frequent feeds that we keep talking about um, send a really strong signal to your body to make the milk. It, it's symbiosis. Your baby's communicating how much milk it needs to your body, and then your body can respond. But if your baby's ineffectively communicating that need, then pumping can be a really useful tool until we're able to resolve these underlying issues of why your baby's not transferring well, um, so that your body is able to maintain milk supply. It's imperative, isn't it? We know <laughs> right. that. Because if you just start feeding formula afterwards, but then don't pump your your milk supply is totally undermined and then it's it's a, a much harder transition um back that's right it's imperative we know that that very frequent access to the breast especially in the first 24 hours really achieved through lots and lots of skin to skin opportunities mm. in the very first um 12 hours 24 hours after birth is is important very important in um um, priming the pump, if you like, uh, setting you on a trajectory of good good um, milk supply. 
And so through that first week, again, very frequent, flexible access to the breast Mm. um, is so important for setting a woman on a trajectory of good supply. And and in that first week, if if there are problems, then then yes, pumping has a very we important want to protect role to play. Back. I wonder if you. This is what this is my general rule of thumb, um, and I wonder if you agree with it. My general rule of thumb is that if if the baby is getting a bottle, then mum should do a pump, because we just want to keep your body aligned with what the baby's needs are, and that kind of makes it simple. Um, and so obviously when you understand your supply, especially as your baby gets older, especially as um, you feeds become much more flexible, then it doesn't always need to be quite so regimented. Um, but it's just sort of a general rule of thumb that I usually give families. Well, that seems reasonable to me. Um, you know, the fact is that if women are feeling really well educated about all of this, Mm. then they can make their own decisions. If a woman knows that yes. the baby's stacking on the weight, you know, 200 grams a week, 250 grams a week or more, she, you know, things are going well, we've got a contented baby, she's, she's feeling confident in her supply, then mm-hmm. she, she may have a situation where her she can partner go or with you another hours. loving adult is, is, um, yeah. is, is giving a bottle of express breast milk. Yeah. But then we, we have a situation, I would argue, where breast pumps are being used because the families aren't able to get perhaps the support that they need around getting that fit and hold right. So these will be situations where the baby's not efficiently transferring milk. Either the baby's causing the woman nipple pain as she feeds or the little one's very fussy at the breast. And uh, many women find themselves pumping in this situation in order to maintain supply. But generally, once we've moved through actual medical situations, babies can transfer milk beautifully as long as the fit and hold is optimal. So women are told that the baby, you know, all sorts of labels, I guess, that are very unhelpful, that the baby's got a weak suck or the baby's got a recessed mm-hmm. chin or baby's got a high palate mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, that tongue's restricted in the absence of a classic tongue-tie women will still, of course, often be told the tongue's restricted. But in fact, it's really a matter of fitting that baby into the woman's body and that takes the strategies that we work through being applied very carefully and surprisingly subtly but very empowering for women when actually um, they, they... see that they're they're not experiencing pain the baby's not fussing at the breast the baby is transferring milk efficiently and gaining weight well and in fact once we've we've really got the biomechanics working well and again there's a whole set of strategies that we can put in place to optimize the biomechanics then the baby should really be the best pump so at this point i'd like to make an interjection into my conversation with emma which we recorded in early April 2020. I'm adding these comments in at a time when the daily death toll in New York City is down to single-digit figures, thankfully. Though COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc throughout uh, much of the rest of the United States and, and indeed the world. Emma remains busy in her practice, home visiting throughout New York City in uh, PPE, and offering effective gestalt interventions to breastfeeding women and their babies. 
if a woman says she has full breasts after a feed and has to pump to get the milk out, I check firstly to see how often she's offering the breast. Um, even when all is going wonderfully well, some breast feeds will be very short. In some breast feeds, baby don't ne- babies don't necessarily transfer a lot of milk at all. They don't necessarily swallow a lot. As long as we have a pattern over time, um, over a 24-hour period, um, of enough feeds where there's enough milk transfer. We can't tell whether our breasts are full with milk in them just by the feel. Uh, a woman um, whose baby is frequently at the breast may never feel full in her breast, particularly after the first weeks, because her supply is calibrating to meet that baby's needs. The breast is never empty. And another woman might have a very generous supply and her breasts still feel rather full even after a breastfeed sometimes. Having a full breast like that will help dial down her supply. When the breasts are running full, then the supply is dialing down. So what matters is offering each breast at least 12 times in a 24-hour period without counting. Often it'll be for short periods of time, not always with a lot of milk transfer happening, other times for longer. And you'll hear the milk Um, being swallowed down by the baby but we have to do this in a way that's positionally stable it's misleading to think that a single feed tells us a lot about milk transfer this is why for instance I don't use pre and post feed test weighing even though I know that's commonly used in the US what matters is patterns of milk transfer over a 24-hour period and the baby's throughput And then, of course, weight gain over time. We're certainly worried if the baby's not doing much swallowing over the day and the night. But typically with frequent, flexible, erratic offering of the breast, babies meet their needs as long as they're positionally stable at the breast. When we have the idea that each feed is a discrete event that needs to fill up the baby's tummy, we run into all sorts of problems. Firstly, it's tempting to use a little bit of pressure or coercion to keep the baby on the breast to make sure that the baby's filling up his or her tummy and that can result in a condition dialing up. It also gives us the idea if a baby's fussy after feeds that the baby must be hungry when in fact the baby may have had enough time at the breast but is ready for a much richer sensory motor experience, wants to see the world. You can see that if we immediately come in then with express breast milk or indeed formula, we undermine the baby's appetite drive to the breast and and can in fact undermine supply. I'd argue that we don't need to focus on the jaw dropping at all because the jaw will drop reflexly if the baby's on the breast and the mouth's filling up with breast tissue because we've eliminated any breast tissue drag. So the jaw drop actually depends on the absence of breast tissue drag, not on temporomandibular muscle tightness or the presence or absence of oral connective tissue restrictions. The problem for women is getting that positional stability, getting that fit and hold right, getting the biomechanics right. And this is where the strategies of the Gestalt approach can really make a big difference. I'd like to remind you that on possumsonline.com, There's the Gestalt Breastfeeding Self-Help Program available 
with lots of videos, photos and text to help sort out these very common but very distressing breastfeeding problems. We were talking about the delay in women's milk coming in, often not till day five or day six. We've got to think through what that means. Sometimes there appears to be a delay because the breasts are not being adequately stimulated. The prolactin drops off in the first few days and milk's entirely under autocrine control from there. So the more often the breasts have milk removed from them, the better the stimulation of supply. There was a study that showed that if each breast is offered up to 12 times in the first 24 hours, milk supply will be significantly better at day five. We never want to force the baby, of course, or use any pressure, but there does need to be a lot of opportunity, often best achieved in that first 24 hours and indeed as the days pass beyond that by skin-to-skin contact. And I'd say that's a function of, it's often very subtle work. Well, after that little rave, it's back to my conversation with Emma McCabe, breastfeeding counsellor in New York City. We want to make sure that the pumping isn't damaging the nipples yes, under yes. Ela. So, um, you know, making sure that you're using the right flange size, um, that you're using the right settings on your pump. You know, if you're in pain pumping, then that's definitely something you want to you troubleshoot. So you, you don't want there to be more than three to five millimeters between your nipple and the side of the flange. So not too much areola is being drawn into the flange, but you also don't want your nipples before pumping begins to be touching the sides of the flange. So can I Um, jump in there and say how I usually describe it? Because I tend not to talk in terms of millimeters or measurements because the truth is women's nipples will expand and expand variably during both during feeds in a baby's mouth but also with pumping so I just say rather than try to give um, measurements I just say we don't want the nipple ever rubbing against the phalange but we also don't want much of the areola being drawn up into the phalange Mm, when I give that measurement it's before the pump starts so it's when the flange is actually around the tip of your nipple but before you're pumping yep yep For sure. And so often I say to women, you really need a couple of sizes to experiment with to make sure that that we're getting that nice drawing up of the nipple without rubbing, but not a lot of the areola Mm. coming in. Yeah. And trying to fit with just one size, I find, is a bit hit and miss. But if women, again, know what they're looking for, then they can experiment between different sizes. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say generally, I think... I see more women pumping with a flange size that's too big than too small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it can cause discomfort. So it can it can cause a lot of discomfort if you're pumping with the wrong flange size. It yeah. can feel painful and pinchy. It can also, um, it can mean that you're not optimizing the milk flow while you're pumping. So getting that, that right flange size so that you feel comfortable particularly is really important. Yeah, yeah. There's also... A tendency to recommend that women engage in power pumping, uh, long sessions Ooh, of pumping. Yeah. What are your thoughts there, Emma? <laughs> um, 
you know, I think that I think that it's really hard. I think it's a lot to ask of women. The idea behind it is that you're simulating a cluster feed. So you're simulating what your baby would do at the breast, often in those early evening hours when they will feed on and off very frequently. Um, and I don't find a lot of space for power pumping in my practice because generally I'm only recommending pumping if there's some sort of serious underlying transfer issue and or mom's milk is delayed coming in um, or we're talking about going back to work and so generally those are the only situations that I'm recommending frequent pumping um, and a power pump like I would rather the baby do that frequent feeding than a woman be on a pump Exactly. Um, doing that frequent pumping. So I don't usually recommend it. Um, sometimes women ask me about it and, you know, if it's, yeah, it's not, I, I'm not hugely into power pumping. Yes. And I, I really, I never um, recommend it. I explain to women that they're better having short, perhaps more frequent, but short times of, of pumping. If a woman's doing this much, she really needs to have a double pump. Yes. That, that's, that's actually very important. To a double electric pump, yes. Mm. Because doing it with a manual pump is, is it's much more time-consuming. That's right. That's mm. right. Also, to, to make this as least burdensome as possible, so just to do a quick mm. little pump whenever she's got the strength for it, really. Mm. Some days she might be able to do more, other days less. Um, mm -hmm. And it may not last for long at all. I, I certainly don't recommend power pumping. Yeah. Um, or, you know, pumping for long periods. So, yeah. so I would consider, you know, 10 minutes, 5 to 10 minutes, but doing that whenever, whenever possible, much more effective than a couple of bursts of the very long half yeah. an hour and that's, double and, pumps. And often women want to know when they should start pumping. So... Um, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this too, actually, um, because a lot of families that I see are wanting to maybe supplement a bottle at night. So maybe dad gives the little one a bottle at night and mom can rest a little bit longer. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that because that's also a common question I get. Can I pump to do one bottle a day? Well, that can work for some families, but for others not necessarily because the the evenings can be a time of heightened need for rich sensory motor experience for our babies but also a time when the little ones can be on and off the breast very irregularly and frequently and so if we have a situation where the dad has offered the little one a bottle is attempting to let the breastfeeding woman sleep but the little one's nevertheless screaming and dialing up are you talking about in the evening and like the early evening or sort of the early morning hours? Well, I'm thinking here the scenario of milk being expressed so that the other partner can offer a bottle late evening in the hope that the breastfeeding woman is actually already asleep and catching up on rest. I also see families wanting to do that instead of one of the night feeds, so instead of mum getting up in the night. Well, the, I would argue that there can be a place for that in a crisis mm. situation. So where there's excessively frequent night waking, parents are, are just not getting 
much sleep throughout the night, we'd both be wanting to look at the underlying causes of that and what Mm -hmm. we might need to be doing to work with the circadian clock, which can take us one to two weeks. But as crisis management, the other partner might actually use the bottle in the night and have have the breastfeeding woman uh, earplugs in, door closed in another quiet room in the house. If we have a situation, though, where the breastfeeding woman is is still waking at the same time as the other partner is intending to go out and get the bottle of milk, you could argue that it's just as quick to breastfeed that baby back to sleep and get everyone to sleep. When we have to get up in the night to um, offer a baby a bottle of express breast milk, we can find ourselves much more widely awake than we'd be with a quick direct breastfeed and everyone back to sleep. So although in principle it sounds like a good thing, very often practically because of the disruption in the night of getting up to get a bottle or because in the evenings babies tend to have this complex set of needs around high um, need for sensory nourishment plus cluster feeding on and off, on and off the breast, the family may find in the end that giving that bottle of express breast milk is not really not really worth the effort. But but what you're saying is that if it does work for a family then it's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's it. That's it. It's all yeah. about workability, isn't it? And families finding their own way through. Right. And so when so another question that often comes along with that conversation that I have with families is is introducing a bottle and when is the best time to introduce a bottle? Well, are you thinking in, often that in re- goes hand in hand preparation with re- for return to work? No, no. I'm in. I'm thinking in generally. If you're wanting to have, which a, a lot of families I see are wanting to have that baby flexibly taking a bottle, if say um, mom is out of the house or dad is doing one of the night feeds, then often they'll want to know at what point, like when, when, when should one. And when can one introduce a bottle? And that would go hand in hand, obviously, with pumping because you'd be pumping milk for yeah. that bottle. Well, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong about this. Again, families just find their own way through and sort out what's workable in their unique situation. We use breast pumps to remove milk from the breast either to be stored and used at a later date or to stimulate supply. So families find their way through pragmatically when they're looking at building up a store of breast milk. Um, It's wise not to overdo it if you've got a generous supply because pumping can actually drive your supply up even even greater. That was one of the things that I had problems with (laughs) when I was breastfeeding was – and, and yeah, and pumping looks different for every woman in the same way that breastfeeding does as well, I tend to find. So women respond to pumps differently. Some women, um, for a lot of women, pumps are, are never going to fully, they're not going to transfer milk or be as effective at draining the breast as their baby will. But then there are also some women who, um, like me, I had a very, very large supply. And when I pumped, it put my body into oversupply, into feeling really uncomfortable. I would end up quite engorged for a couple of days after even just one pump in those those early weeks. Mm. Um, So that's a woman who may be best not 
um, trying to pump yep. milk for storage. And I tried to avoid pumping for a number of weeks because it really would cause me pain every time I, after I pumped. Um, so, so yeah, but everybody's body responds, you know, differently to a pump. Yeah. Um, is what I tend to find. You know, sometimes I see situations where a mother has been breastfeeding with very, very sore and damaged nipples for a while before she was able to find support. Um, and, and I often see women being advised to pump for 24 hours to let their nipples heal a little bit before, um, before continuing to breastfeed. And so I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Severe nipple damage can be a very good indication for the need to stop putting the bubby to the breast for a time, let those nipples heal, and mm. either pump expressed breast milk very carefully so that we're not perpetuating nipple damage or indeed mm-hmm. as a short-term solution supplementing with formula just to get us through the, the next you know, four to seven days while the nipples heal. We also need to be very focused on the underlying breast tissue drag that caused that nipple damage and Mm. showing the woman, helping her start to lay down new neural pathways around how to fit the baby into her body so that there is no breast tissue drag and that damage isn't going to be perpetuated when she next puts the baby back on the breast. question you're saying for so you're saying that a woman could pump for four to seven days while her nipples heal well without breastfeeding well it's true emma that i'll often see such excruciatingly damaged nipples or even nipple areolar complexes that and often at the end of a a long road of trying to make this work before they present to me, that we may actually elect to let those nipples heal or let that particular damaged nipple heal. Mm. And that that can actually take a week depending on the extent of the injury and ulceration. Do you ever see babies who then struggle to get back to the breast after a week if they're not breastfeeding at all? Uh, Actually, I would say that that's not typically a problem as long as we know how to manage the transition back from bottles to the breast. So firstly, as as we've been emphasising, we need to get that fit and hold right so that damage is not going to be perpetuated. But then it is quite common for anyone who's pumping and using express breast milk to find themselves caught in, in a cycle where, let's say, three hourly pumping routines... And it could even be, you know, baby being, depending on what the circumstances, the baby's offered the breast, the woman pumps, the baby's offered a bottle of express breast milk, the triple feeding, and sometimes, good heavens, it's then quadruple feeding because there's another top-up with formula. The feeds can go on for well over an hour, an hour and a half by the time they move through all those steps. It's it's quite unmanageable. But if you look at it, that that baby is being offered the breast, whether it's one, whether it's both breasts, perhaps no more than eight times in a 24-hour period. And of course, we know that most babies, most women will really need to offer the breast or to, you know, to take the breast or to offer the breast 12 times in a 24-hour period, frequently and flexibly, without watching the clock in order to maintain weight gain and supply. Mm. So you can see how pumping can actually 
reach a point where it's undermining a woman's capacity to breastfeed her baby. So let's look at a situation where her baby is being exclusively fed breast milk, but a lot of that's happening with the bottles. So the baby's gaining weight Mm. well, Mm -hmm. but much of it's happening through express breast milk rather than direct from the breast into the baby's mouth and gut. Women often in this situation, their confidence has been undermined in their capacity to get milk from the breast directly into the baby. And this is where it becomes really important to to know that when breastfeeding is going really well, you can't overfeed. You can't offer too often. And the very Mm. frequent, flexible, erratic offering of the breast, never thinking, oh, she just fed 10 minutes ago, I can't put her on. You just put her back on if you think she needs it. Encouraging women to normalise this and also to know that it tends to make the days much easier rather than harder. So I think traditionally uh, over the past decades health professionals have been very anxious that frequent flexible access to the breast is burdensome for women and we don't want to be seeing marathon feeds and truly excessive burdensome breastfeeding because that's a sign that something's not going right that the baby's not transferring milk efficiently and typically of course what's happening is that there's breast tissue drag underlying positional instability that hasn't hasn't been identified. But when things are going well, that very frequent, flexible offers of the breast at least 12 times in a 24-hour period, but no one's counting, that actually makes the days easier. It keeps the baby dialed down. It really supports supply. It makes sure that the baby's gaining weight well. But but the, the three-hourly pumping, you know, offer the breast, then pumping, then offering the expressed breast milk actually means that the baby's not getting the access to the breast that they perhaps need to be really dialed down and and contained and may not stimulate supply. Unless there's an underlying transfer issue or or a medical reason to be doing that. You know, I I tend to, I would say most families that I see who are triple feeding or who I would advise to triple feed are not. It's usually when um, milk was delayed coming in and the baby was in the NICU or, um, you know, bilirubin levels were really high in the first couple of days, or maybe the baby lost a really large amount of weight. Um, And I would tend to find that most women who I see who are triple feeding are not necessarily able to fully supplement with breast milk afterwards, but are having to use formula Um, because it's not as if they're pumping a huge amount of milk after they feed the baby. Yep, sure. Um, And just to flag there that some women may have perfectly ample supplies but never really pump very much, Um, Mm -hmm. never really um, manage to get a lot of milk out of their breasts with a pump. That's true. So so it's really important to communicate to women, isn't it, that the amount that they can pump is not really a measure. It's not an indication supply. of how much milk you have. Yeah. I mean, some women will really struggle to pump anything, even though their baby is totally um, efficient at feeding and able to get everything they need from them. Yeah. Some women just really, you know, don't respond to a pump. So when you breastfeed your baby, the suckling stimulates oxytocin. Oxytocin uh, triggers a letdown, which is like all the little muscles around your mammary glands contracting and squeezing and milk flows. And some women will not respond to a pump that way simply because you're not looking at your beautiful, lovely little one um, and experiencing 
the same oxytocin boost that you would with your little one when you're at a pump. Um, it's pumping feels very different. Pumping is, I think from, for a lot of women, it's quite, it's, it's a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling really. Yes. Although Um, we don't want pain with pumping and often often women aren't using phalanges of the right size. size So I thought it would also be useful to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of transitioning off the use of express breast milk back to Mm. exclusive or predominant use of the breast alone rather than Mm. um, bottles of express breast milk. Um, Often women will say, I've fed my baby, but he or she's clearly still hungry. And that's when I come in with a bottle of express breast milk. And this is where we want to move into the concept of frequent and flexible offers of the breast. And if the little one seems to dial up at the end of a breastfeed, and we've dealt with the underlying clinical problems that have got us into this situation anyway, then think, sensory motor nourishment. Now, this is a complex topic in times of social isolation, but I discussed that in in another podcast. We won't attempt to open that up here at the moment, Em. But often the little one is dialing up, not because they need more milk in the tummy, but because they're needing a change of, of sensory motor experience. So thinking, okay, I've offered the breast, the little one's dialing up, not thinking hunger, I've absolutely got to use the bottle of express breast milk, but but moving into the next activity, moving into the day. And then you can offer the breast again in a short period of time anyway, if you want to, mm. to keep that little one dialed down. So you can see how the idea of the little ones come off the breast is dialing up, I've got to fill up with express breast milk, can actually undermine um, breastfeeding and keep us trapped in this the cycle of of um, feeling as though we've got to keep using the express breast milk. Now, right. if, if we've got a situation where it's just express breast milk or the breast and the baby's doing well, gaining well, then we know it's just a matter of getting that fit and hold right so that the little one's transferring milk um, efficiently from the breast. And then there's no pressure on any particular feed. We're not thinking of any particular feed as a time when that baby's got to get milk in. Um, we're looking at patterns over time, frequent, flexible, irregular offering, and over over a twenty four hour period, that little one will take the breast milk that they need. And when you're not able to measure quantities of milk because you're not giving bottles of express breast milk, then you can be comforted by the five heavy, wet nappies in a 24-hour period, a contented, alert baby, regular throughput of stool. Yep. Now, if we've got a situation... Go ahead. Well, if we've got a situation where we've got formula supplementation in the mix, the baby's obviously at this point needing that formula to maintain weight gain... So at that point, having um, some monitoring, if we are easing back from the formula, doing it in a way that's, that's careful, watching baby's throughput, but also having weight being monitored each week or sometimes depending on the particular transition we're trying to do, you might even watch it a little bit more closely than that. Mm. So transitioning from formula to only mm. at the breast... 
just needs to be done with with a bit of care. But the Mm. real trap that so many families again fall in there is I've just put the baby on the breast, the baby's now dialing up, that must mean that I've got to come in with formula to satiate my baby. When in fact, you could get on with the day, change the baby's sensory experience and then offer that breast within a fairly short period of time again, just to dial the baby down. So, so easing back from the use of that formula and thinking sensory nourishment sensory nourishment frequent flexible offerings mm-hmm. of the breast it is something that i'm that that uh, is very very challenging right now for families in new york um during this pandemic and yeah, yeah it, it's really not you know i i have a lot of clients who are um in a sim in this sort of situation but there is nowhere to go yeah and there's yeah. not there's no place it's very hard so in that case I think it is it is very hard actually I I, my heart goes out to families managing in social isolation like this with with a baby so it's it's important for families to know how to monitor baby's throughput um, watching Mm -hmm. for those five heavy wet nappies watching for the stool I mean I guess uh, I mean, well, that that we're monitoring very closely, but I guess I meant, <laughs> I meant sensory nourishment. <laughs> oh, absolutely, Emma. It's, yeah, that's right. It's very hard to not feel like that your baby is constantly hungry when you have been supplementing for a long period of time. Um, if if it's hard to not feel like they're constantly hungry um, when they may when in fact fussy. just be dialing up because of yes, the low sensory dialing, yeah. interior environment. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very hard to get more sensory nourishment in this situation that we're in. Yes, I I can only concur. And I think at this point, deep self-compassion, we're just going to do the best we can. It's about workability. It won't be about perfection. It'll be about this hour and then the next hour, this minute and then the next minute. And um, this situation is so far from ideal for new families um, that that yeah. profound acceptance of compromise is going to be really, really important. Yeah. I wanted to, to just add into this conversation that whenever we're, we're wanting to build our supply um we Mm. do need to be doing that switch feeding breast to breast to breast yes and not letting the little ones stay for a really long period of time on one breast but off to the other on one side while they very yep um but also we don't want to cause a condition dialing up so you know just read your baby if the baby's not tolerating going from side to side to side then yeah don't try to do it so often but to the extent that you can that's going to build um, supply build supply yeah and I'll often yeah I'll often recommend trying to do each breast a couple of times if you're if you're building supply as long as your baby's happy when I think about how I pumped that was it was quite similar to that I, I never really thought about it in terms of structure but I also didn't have a very structured life um, and I was you know, very frequently and flexibly feeding and I didn't have a nine to five job at the time. Um, and so when I was away from my son and sometimes for like a number of days in a row, I would pump when I felt like I needed to and just sort of trust my body in that way. Mm. Um, but I tend to find that like in these, particularly if pumping's entering the equation in these very early weeks, that's when I think that's a useful guideline. When, when supply is still growing and prolactin receptors are still being laid down and 
um, we're wanting to, and for whatever reason, if baby, if the baby's not transferring well, we want to protect, protect mom's supply. When a pump is useful, well, obviously a lot of women will be pumping when they go back to work. Um, so for women here, that's usually pretty early. Most women are going back to work at about three months, some less than three months, and, and some will very fortunately get more than three months. Um, but it's a conversation that I have with most clients in like the first consult that I'll have with them because it really isn't that far away. That sort of brings comes around to something that I often talk about with women in terms of going back to work. And obviously, when you're going back to work, it looks different for different women. You have different the rooms available to pump in. Uh, you know, maybe you can't pump in your office because you have a private office. Maybe you have to go to a, to a lactation room. Maybe your lactation room is on a different floor on the other side of the building. Uh, maybe you are able to pump at lunch. Maybe you have meetings all through lunch. So, um, you know, work is different for every woman. But I'm often saying I would rather that you were able to pump more frequently for less time you know, if you're just fitting in a five-minute pump here, there, and you're able to do that more frequently, then waiting and holding off for a really big, long block of time where you can mm. pump for half an hour. Mm. Um, That's right. Because if her breasts are running full, then, in fact, her supply is being dialed down. It's going to, yeah. Exactly. Look, what I'm always saying to working um, parents there, women who are returning to work, is that we mm. don't need to worry about teaching the baby to take a bottle before we return to work because the fact of it is that um, our little ones are flexible and adaptive. If you go off to work and that baby's in the care of another adult, when he or she is thirsty enough, they'll take the bottle. Um, or depending on the age of the baby, they'll take sips from a cup Actually, I'd like to mention a free um, resource that's available on the possumsonline.com website, um, a set of videos called Act for Parents with Babies. So possumsonline.com, free videos, seven of them, about these strategies for managing the really difficult thoughts and feelings that come up at the best of times when we've got a baby but which are really likely to be there as we're caring for a baby through the pandemic. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com, for lots of free resources and programs and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the possums programs. As together... We grow joy in early life. I hope you tune in again soon. Bye for now.